Hey everyone, welcome to episode 139 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on we, you know, are about to announce the actual tournament series of the Lotus Box League, so... Very yeah. exciting. That's what we're focused on as long as the SCG Tour doesn't exist. <laughs> yep. I guess I can't really, like, make that joke every episode, but, you know, we're making progress on the tournament, so... We, we might even have one more episode where we can make that joke. Yeah. Then, but after that, I'm going to veto it. Yeah, after that, it's just actually going to be the intro. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we finished our third tournament this past weekend, mm-hmm. kind of growing each week. A pretty significant improvement from the second tournament to the third tournament. We upped our technology a bunch, upped our game some had a, a healthy viewership and had a, a decent sized tournament with some extremely good players playing. Yeah, it was really sweet. I don't know. We had like five MPL players in there or something or, or like five or six total MPL and rivals players. We had a number of high level SCG grinders and our top eight was pretty stacked. We had uh, Will Pulliam and Emma Handy and Caleb Shear yep. in the top eight. So pretty fun tournament to comment like it was just a great tournament to cover no it was amazing uh yeah and it's always great to see the familiar names up there and extra special for us because now like we're hosting this thing yeah and then people still want to come and participate and, yeah uh yeah and it felt felt really solid yeah. felt really stacked and congratulations to will pulliam for taking it down with Niv just kind of breaking the format I, yeah i, I mean guess. he was talking pretty big about it before the tournament and you know, can't say he didn't deliver. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so. We're going to talk a little bit about Modern. We're going to talk through that tournament and then just some stuff about the format at large. And then we're probably going to spend a bunch of this episode just talking through some of these Aquarius spoilers because they seem like they came really fast. Yes. All of a sudden, like I didn't even know that they were coming. And then right. my entire feed was just completely filled with these crazy spoilers from... Maybe a commander set, maybe an Ikora set. <laughs> that really bothers me. And the 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 bizarre thing is like Ikoria the main set is like very EDH kind of focused. Yeah. Like gigantic multicolored creatures with mm-hmm. weird creature abilities. Yeah. Companion is in there and that's it feels just, very EDH y. Yeah. 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 And and just giant monsters. And then all of the commander cards are like Here's a a three mana white card that helps you like get lands into play and it's very efficient and it's like ooh that card is oh okay I guess we'll that, just that one's a commander one that's a commander one <laughs> so it's it's a just scrolling through Twitter and seeing card previews is a bizarre and like trying experience yeah and, and then the one card that's like two and a white for a three three when it comes into play you choose odd or even and it has protection from that i was like oh yeah that must be a, a commander card that's like a true name nemesis but no that that one's in the set <laughs> just completely juke me break all my expectations yeah oh my goodness it's been hard to keep up but it's hopefully really we today can help the viewers keep up a little bit yep and uh kind of parse out what we've figured out definitely uh want to thank our patrons we really really appreciate your support uh i know that <laughs> It's it's funny our our listenership has dropped a reasonable amount because you know I think a normal way of listening to podcasts is hopping in your car, commuting to work, and listening to a podcast on the way. That makes sense. Um, and we haven't gotten like killed or anything, but it's definitely a, a decrease in listenership. But I I really want to thank that m- the vast majority of our patrons have stuck around and, mm-hmm. and continued supporting us through this, and it's yeah. it, it's really cool, and we do really appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. As far as rewards go, 
a little tough to get some of them out, but we will continue <laughs> dropshipping and, and anything that we can. And uh, certainly we'll have just boxes of stuff ready to go as soon as quarantine has ended and we can kind of make that happen. Yeah, indeed. Um, should we just talk about modern and our tournament? Yeah, I think that we should definitely go over the tournament. The headline of the tournament was clearly this Niv-Mizzet deck. Yeah. So I don't know if we want to jump right into that or just kind of go over our archetype breakdown. Well, why don't we just... I I think it would be silly not to just talk about niv Like, it is yeah. the the dragon in the room. Like, right. we have to talk <laughs> about... I didn't think Niv-Mizzet would be the finals mirror <laughs> of this in this tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so a little backstory... Uh, that people might not be completely aware of is that the week, maybe even two weeks leading up to this tournament, Will was talking some big smack oh, about yeah. about his Niv-Mizzet deck that he found and loved and like, you know, 100% win rate was, right. that was, was thrown the, around. We, we, we would go from <laughs> no bad matchups to 100% win rate as yeah. Will changes yeah. decks. And, you know, there's always a little bit, a bit of like hyperbole in the air, but that one was pretty extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edgar picked it up, and that kind of made sense to everybody because Edgar just loves some dirtily mid-rangey decks. This one, this fit his bill pretty well. Wins the game a little more aggressively than I think Edgar may be comfortable with. <laughs> like your card advantage engine is includes putting a six-six flyer into play, right? Like that's just three attacks away from winning. Uh, that's way too few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I know Edgar prefers attacking with one ones. Mm, so yeah. you know, one one flash flyers that drew a card. That's like the the sweet Ideal spot. Win- Condition, right. yeah. Five mana, six, six flyers that drew five to six cards. Like, you know, it, to each their own. It's just a little too efficient. There's too much power to mana ratio there. <laughs> and, you know, he talked the talk and, you know, people were testing it out and stuff. And then, you know, around come this tournament and all of a sudden we're noticing that the Niv players are doing really well. And mm-hmm. then there was a Niv mirror for the, like the final six O. Yeah, like yeah. The, the last two six O's were... Connor and Will, mm-hmm. and they played, and Will won. <laughs> and then they both make top eight. And then in the finals, once again, Connor and Will, yep. they play, Will wins, and, and that's it. And I have to say that Will played extremely well all yes. tournament long. Every time we saw him, he was just making you know strong lines, good plans, unintuitive plays that that you like kind of see where they're going a turn or two later, mm-hmm. and, and just careful management of resources that that really paid off for him in a lot of spots yeah definitely i was definitely ribbing on him a little bit for his timing of thought seize <laughs> yes. throughout the tournament <laughs> just because he always seemed to have a thought seize in his hand that he just never cast in one game um, he like it, it you know he'd rather scoop than cast the thoughts like he just <laughs> yeah. really didn't want to thought seize his opponent he, he really it, it seemed that way but i'm sure will like watch the vod or something afterwards and he messaged me on monday and he was like i heard you talking trash about me <laughs> not wanting to cast thought seize and he just like went through and described like why he didn't and he just sure thought, and i'm you know yeah, of, of course, course he had a reason like of course we, he did yeah yeah but we didn't think he was just randomly not casting a thought seize there <laughs> yeah but it, it was funny yeah. just how in multiple spots, like, we kept seeing him, like, hold the Thoughtseize mm-hmm. until, like, the last possible right. moment to Thoughtseize. Yeah. Yeah, and then somehow, every time he did cast it, his opponent scooped. <laughs> and that became, like, you know, the next thing. Yes. So. O'Connor's actually in our chat. He says, Will played really well. I did not. I mean, you know, we saw one main misplay that, that Connor made in the finals that was a little unfortunate. But to get to the finals with that deck that is interactive and plays really yeah. long games, like... 
you, you can't have been punting away games all day. That's just not <laughs> how, like I I am confident. And and we saw Connor play other matches yeah. and weren't sitting there like, mm-hmm. oh man, this guy. Like right. like Connor also played well for yeah. most of the tournament. Oh, Connor certainly played well, but I you know think it's safe to say that we'll play better. So yeah. we'll we'll earn the title definitely. And that's how that's how these work. Yeah, and you know you you love to see it. Yes, that's that's exactly what you want. You yeah. want the the player who kind of just played out of their mind <laughs> for the whole tournament to come away with we don't have a physical trophy but to come away yep. with a first place is mm-hmm. it's pretty good yeah indeed should we go into some of the details what i would what i think is pretty cool is that we had will working very specifically on this deck which mm-hmm. already was kind of an archetype so we can see the differences between like connor's list and will's list yes so if I can just pull each of those. And I think one of the big differences here is that Connor has uh, Clothis in his deck, which mm-hmm. is not something that uh, Will felt he wanted access to. But the decks are very specifically based around, you know, there's a play set of red and six in each one because yeah. that's kind of your primary turn two play that lets you keep making land drops and cast. You spend a lot of mana over the course of the game with this. Oh deck. yeah, I mean, talk about mana hungry. You're you're playing a five mana drag or is it? A, yeah, dragon, and you know, just trying to cast as many spells as possible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, the the Ren and six is definitely crucial. One of the cards that I really want to highlight here is Kaya's Guile. I was huge. Yeah, in so, the spots where it's good. Yeah, right. So Kaya's Guile is a, a main focus of both of these lists, mm-hmm. and. We saw it really, really perform well because specifically, you know, one card that we've been talking a lot about lately has been Uro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is an Uro deck. It's playing three of its own Uros. Yep. And Uro is, you know, a, a three of, I think, in the like the next two most popular archetypes, mm-hmm. which are, you know, Erosa and this Bant you know, blue white control splash Uro deck. Yeah, essentially. And I think that Kaya's Guile is really the card that allowed Niv-Mizzet to punish these decks pretty mm-hmm. significantly. And you would already already imagine that this Niv-Mizzet deck is going to be favored in like a mid-range like matchup because it's going to be able to do so much more value. Mm-hmm. But Kaya's Guile, I think, really puts the nail in the coffin. Yeah, and I think it solves a couple of problem matchups like that. You know, it is the perfect answer to Uro, getting rid of the Uro permanently and also getting rid of any food for future arrows yeah it also you know it's fantastic against like prowess which often has like a threat on the board mm-hmm. and then is filling the graveyard as a way to easily do damage yeah. later on like if they're if they have one creature on board and then you get rid of the six or seven spells out of their graveyard they're very far away from reloading with bedlam reveler mm-hmm. and that's that's how you can keep up with a deck like that yeah, and you know the like the three Kaya's Giles and three Lightning Helix, I think, is definitely mm-hmm. a, a concession to the aggressive decks in the format. Yeah, namely Prowess, I think, is the big right. one, which was actually the most heavily played deck in our tournament. So yeah. definitely a very thoughtful mm-hmm. choice to have those be your early removal spells. Right. Very effective against red aggressive decks. Yeah, yeah. I guess these two lists are actually very similar. The so, only main deck difference that I'm seeing is a Clothis in Connor's deck mm-hmm. versus, I don't know, what is the last slot in Will's deck that I'm missing here? I think it might be, I actually can't, I, I, I can't see through this right now. Yeah. The But the main difference is that Connor's running a main deck, Clothis, and then their sideboard choices were slightly different. Mm-hmm. You see, 
Veil of Summer in Connor's list mm -hmm. and Disputes in Will's list. Yeah. As that's kind of like the same slot that they, they uh, altered. Right. And we saw Will really take advantage of the open deck list information mm -hmm. and, you know, very specifically play around Veil of Summer, not yeah. run his Thoughtseize into it. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that you might not see in a tournament where players don't have access to that information. Yeah. Interesting differences between this and the, the paper tournaments that we're used to. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Open deck list is huge. Definitely. Uh, this deck is built basically such that you always have access to a Niv-Mizzet on turn five if you want it. Yeah. Three main deck Niv-Mizzets, a bunch of Bring Delights, two Glittering Wishes. Mm -hmm. Your, your Niv-Mizzet density is <laughs> extremely high. Yes. Absolutely. And that's really what you need with this deck. And one thing I learned about playing Nimizit in Pioneer, and I'm sure it's a little different, but like the Pioneer deck that did not draw Nimizit was like non-functional. Yeah. And I think that there's probably some similar uh, aspects of things here. Okay, so the difference was that Connor only had two Kaya's Guile in the main, okay. and then Will had three. Sure. So, yeah. Will really went hard on Kaya's Guile. I see he went three in the main, and he had one hanging out on the sideboard, mm -hmm. so he had access to full four Kaya's Giles. Right. And that is certainly a metagame mm -hmm. choice. Like, yes. The fact that the format is where it is now in this like grindy game with some very specific threats that Kaya's Guile answers well. You know, it was not a generically good magic card in modern before we got to this point in the metagame. Yeah. So, you know, just very specific choice to attack the threats that are attacking you. Yeah. The Deck exists in modern right now because holy crap, modern is just a grind fest. <laughs> it's it really is. It seems like every single deck is trying to go over the top of each other. Mm -hmm. And here we have the one that's the trump card right now. Yep. This result isn't the only like major tournament that this deck has won in the past like four like three or three right. like the past three tournaments have been won with yeah. It won, it won the modern challenge. It won right? the modern challenge. Yep. It won our Lotus Box. Patreon Championship, mm -hmm. and it also won the uh, super. Oh, the, the the super qualifier. Okay, yeah. I did. I don't think I even realized that. Yeah, so it has been clearly dominating, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how people end up attacking it. Um, I guess not. Not this qualifier, but maybe one before that. Um, yeah, I I hadn't seen the actual list, but I had heard that it won. Uh, something a super recently yeah well it, so if nothing else it definitely won oh and tyler went 13 and 0 with will's 75 yep i mean pretty great deck <laughs> is pretty powerful yeah that was in the yeah in the challenge right so yeah. not not a bad deck i wonder where the metagame is going to go from here mm -hmm. because you know this is a thing that we saw in pioneer like the metagame got kind of grindy like mono red Big Red became the best deck in the format. Yep. And then Niv-Mizzet took over the format. Right. And now Niv-Mizzet's unplayable in Pioneer. Yep. Yeah, I think that Modern can adapt. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see how, though, because one thing that's kind of unique about this particular Niv-Mizzet list that kind of could not be true in Pioneer mm -hmm. was that this Niv-Mizzet list is really well set up against the aggressive decks in yeah. the format. You know, the... Three Kai's Giles, three Lightning Helix. Like, those are cards that Pioneer just, like, doesn't have access to. Mm -hmm. So I think that, like, that might be a big difference in terms of how this Nimissa deck is going to get hated out. Because I think it does have a pretty reasonable matchup against the aggressive decks. Yeah. 
I mean, the, right, those Lightning Helixes into Kai's Guile into draw more Lightning Helixes and Kai's Guile, a couple mm-hmm. of Wrath effects. Like, yeah. you just are able to keep up. Will is in our chat saying that the worst two matchups are Dredge and Green Tron. Those, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> Green Tron, I mean, you know, if we're talking about trump cards, yeah. <laughs> Green Tron is definitely something that you could do. When when your turn five is Niv-Mizzet, but their turn, you know, three or four was Karn, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you're just not going to... The, the deck has access to a number of Assassin's Trophies, but that's not quite enough right. to, to deal with the threats that, that Tron can present. Um, and Dredge, you know... The deck has Kaya's Guiles, but if Dredge wins the die roll and goes Cathartic Reunion into Ox of Agonis, like... Yeah, and then you hit your third land drop, but yeah. you're already dead. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, and we definitely saw some of those draws out of Dredge mm-hmm. on coverage this weekend. We watched yeah. a Dredge mirror where each player nut drew each other, but uh, yeah. one player was on the play, and uh, Ross's, Ross Miriam's nut draw was not quite as powerful on the draw. And yeah. You there know, you have it. Dredge has a very powerful goldfish at this point, even if it's not quite as consistent as it was when it had Faithless Looting. Mm-hmm. I'm always a little sad to see that Tron might be, like, the next best thing or whatever, but... Yeah. You know, I've played Tron in tournaments before. I mean, not, you know... It does feel like... Like, there's, like, you know, big haymakers going on in Modern, mm-hmm. but the format feels... The fact that Niv-Mizzet can be, at least for some amount of time, the best deck in the format... I think does indicate that the format is relatively low powered compared to where we've seen modern in the past. Yeah. Powerful combo decks, not really in the mix. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I guess, you know, like one of the quote unquote, like powerful modern decks is, you know, a death shadow deck that uses really cheap spells that probably finds itself not quite able to put it together against a value heavy deck like Mm Niv-Mizzet, especially with like edicts and then card draw is not really what a death shadow deck is into seeing but i think there's probably room to do stuff in modern because there's no way a niv mizzet deck can be oppressive mm-hmm. in the way that like a broken storm deck can be oppressive right. or yeah for sure you know yeah i mean it, it's just gonna have some weak spots yeah and you mentioned how there are kind of no combo decks mm-hmm. around right now like i wonder if if one of these combo decks gets really popular like i could see how that could also be a pretty tough matchup for nip is it yeah i mean and we did at multiple points in the tournament we we watched a Niv-Mizzet matchup and we we're like, this has to be kind of a bad matchup for Niv-Mizzet, right and then it just <laughs> yeah. kind of turned out that it wasn't right <laughs> you know there there was you know kind of goofy uh but certainly powerful looking like deck that was just all planeswalkers and mana ramp yes and, yeah. you know, we were thinking, like, oh, this might be tough for Niv-Mizzet. Like, it could just get under there with a powerful value Planeswalker, lock mm-hmm. him out of the game, something like that. Um, but and we did see that happen in one of the games, mm-hmm. but it felt like everything had to go right for that lockout to happen right. for the Planeswalker player. Right. And and then we saw Emma Handy play against Will in the mm-hmm. top eight of our tournament. Yeah. Emma, with an excellent metagame choice, I think, for this one, uh, she played a very focused Urza Thopter Sword combo deck mm-hmm. with, you know, the the four Goblin Engineer version of that deck. Yeah. And I, I think just comboed all over people all yeah, day long. It seemed like it, for sure. No amount of value you can generate defeats infinite life, infinite cards, yep. infinite mana, infinite Thopters. Taking advantage of the value-heavy metagame to play a combo deck that doesn't care about value. Mm-hmm. But then when she played against Will, Will was able to leverage some of the clunky awkward cards that 
do do something in the matchup and, you know, make the best use possible of his Kaya, Kaya's Guiles and sort of generic permanent removal spells. And, you know, we even saw Emma put together Thopter Sword without Urza. Yep. And then Will was able to, over the course of a few turns, kind of take that apart and deal with the after effects of that happening. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the Nivis deck just has the tools to kind of, you know, dismantle mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Yeah. And Glittering Wish in particular was very impressive. Just, mm-hmm. you know, you generate a lot of mana, so then you can Glittering Wish for something effective and yeah. get it. And some of these specific sideboard cards just do the trick. Yeah, I mean, we saw Will find Wheel of Sun and Moon yeah. against uh, Emma, and that was really what kind of put the nail in the coffin there. Perfect card for that deck. Yeah. Multicolored, so you can get it with Glittering Wish or Niv-Mizzet when you board it in. It doesn't hit your graveyard, so it doesn't mess up your Uros. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, replaces... It, it's a ley line, basically. It just puts their cards on the bottom of their library, and yeah. it just works really nicely and is very pretty, so, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it is very pretty. I like it. It's great. Good good deck building by Will. Good mm-hmm. choice for the tournament. Yeah, and absolutely. Modern is in a weird place, man. It is in a weird place. Can we take a moment to look at the, the metagame breakdown? Yeah. Yeah, so the most popular deck was Mono Red Prowess. Mm-hmm. It did not look like it had a good performance. That's unfortunate, because I yeah. do think Modern is healthier when there's a good aggro deck mm-hmm. in the format. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's definitely sad to see that. Uh, and then, you know, uh, so 11 Mono Reds, 10 Rosa decks, mm-hmm. and then 9 Dredge. And we saw Dredge having a couple of deep runs in our tournament. Mm-hmm. It seemed like Dredge was one of the better position decks as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that was also just a testament to how grindy the format was, and Dredge was another deck able to take advantage of that. Yeah, it's able to do a couple of really good things versus the grindy decks, right? It mm-hmm. has those nut draws with the turn through Ox of Agonis that you just can't come back from right but it also yeah <laughs> Abe Corgan loves to make fun of it and, and call it big zoo yeah but it, it keeps presenting those threats over and over again and it it is a very grindy deck mm-hmm. you know on its own yeah so you know if your plan is to grind out all of your opponent's resources mm-hmm. dredge is well equipped for that definitely yeah yeah and so well it's it's funny that you know now that we're doing coverage we sometimes have slightly different evaluation, like we're evaluating decks on slightly different metrics than yep. than before. So like now one of the things that I know about Dredge is every time we put it on camera, we lost viewers. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Because people just don't really want to see Dredge, like the fake magic deck yeah. on camera. And now we're going to be covering the Dredge mirror <laughs> and everybody leaves. <laughs> yeah. And we did have a Dredge mirror and, yeah. and uh, I don't, it was not Evan's first choice sure to put it on but because you know the the other matches that he wanted to feature uh we weren't able to get video of in time and so yeah. it's definitely covering these tournaments has its has its ins and outs and and you know we're figuring all that out yeah but you know it's cool that we now have that perspective of things so yeah yeah definitely learning a lot about stuff that i just never even thought about <laughs> before sure yeah um, yeah, Eroza, the second most popular deck, just, you know, one fewer copy than Prowess in this tournament. And, you know, this is like a 140-person tournament, and so even the most heavily represented deck of Prowess at 11 copies is, mm-hmm. you know, less than 10% of the metagame. Yeah. Eroza, 10 copies. Apparently, and, and I think Jay is editing the spreadsheet, so we don't have the overall win percentages of these decks right now. Mm-hmm. 
I believe in an earlier version of this spreadsheet, Erosa had an extremely high win rate, so okay. like approaching 70% or something like that I in see. our tournament. Yeah. Um, you know, not a huge sample size, so right. don't. But uh, apparently, I what had, Niv's win rate was. I think it was not that high. I think it was okay. above 50%, but not by an enormous amount. Okay. Um, I think there were a couple of pilots who did not do so well with. Clearly, some some people had to do pretty badly with it to balance out <laughs> Will Pulliam, Connor Mullally, and uh, Edgar had a strong run with Edgar, it. Edgar, I well. think, went X and two. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, But like a pretty healthy mix of decks here at the top with Prowess, Erosa, Dredge, Humans. Uh, we okay. So I, for some reason, in my head, we just didn't have very many red green decks in the tournament. But looks like red green Ponza, whatever it is at this point, it was yeah. our our number five deck. Gruel beats is what I want to call it. it the Glorybringer <laughs> is actually kind of the most important. Yeah, part it of the is. Deck in it's, a way. it's really not a Ponza deck anymore, as much as it is just a, a like you know, highly powered mm-hmm. down early than normal red green creatures. Yeah, so. Yeah, and and running Clothis to great effect right now. Yeah, um, just a very powerful card in an Uro focused meta game. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Also, they're all running a couple of pillages, and you kind of hate it when you see it in the list. But then every time Bloodbraid Elf flips it, it's like, oh god, that was by that far is... the best thing Bloodbraid <laughs> yeah. Elf could have flipped here. Definitely. We did have some Titan decks. We had a little bit of Amulet, but Amulet has really fallen off in a way mm-hmm. that I am just you know, a little, continue to be a little surprised yeah. by that that losing Once Upon a Time would have this big of an effect. Well, I heard a rumor that Matthew Dilks has started to play The Rock in Modern. Boy. So, does that mean that, so, does that, it, it's one of two things. Either Dilks is just tired of Amulet and mm-hmm. wants to do something else, or uh, Amulet's just actually bad right now. Yeah. I mean... Who knows? If he is playing the rock because, you know, he just doesn't think he can get Amulet to work, then that really puts to bed our theory that Amulet isn't working because Dilks isn't giving people lists to play. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and we saw Will, Will Pulliam, weird land guy, playing, honestly, the lands in this deck, not that weird, yeah, except for Pillar of the Pulling Parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it counts in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. But he put down Amulet in order to win with the five-color Niv-Mizzet deck. So, right. you know, take that for whatever you think it means. And, yeah, a little bit of combo that people were trying. Caleb did top eight with Storm, mm-hmm. but... So Storm still exists. It still exists. It You know, it has games that you're just like, okay, yeah, I got Stormed out. Right. But, man, especially with the existence of... Veil of Summer. Just like weird tools <laughs> crushing rough. it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Veil of Summer is rough for it. Yep. And, and you know, just like a lot of the Planeswalkers are good against it. Like, somebody lands a Narset, a Teferi, or an Ashiok. Mm-hmm. Any of those three mana ones. Like, those are all, like, kind of bad for Storm, potentially. And Yeah. So, you know, just feels like a deck that hasn't quite kept up with it didn't get many cards printed in 2019 that you could put in the deck, so... <laughs> right. Yeah. Hopefully that'll change at some point, but... Yeah. You know, we'll see. Yeah. I, I You know... They, it w- they tend to want to stay away from printing Storm cards, so I guess that the fact that we're saying that there haven't been any means that they've been successful at that, but... Well, yeah, but we're about to move on to Choreo spoilers, and there's at least one... Mm, yeah. <laughs> there's at least one Storm card in there. True. Baby. Yeah. Very true. Do we just kind of want to go do that now? Yeah. We got I mean, more modern to talk about? Or? I, I think that covers modern for cool. me. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm pumped about... I'm always pumped about spoilers. Yeah. But 
Uh, especially because living here and when we bring them up and like Zan doesn't really want to talk about spoilers. And <laughs> sure. This is a, our safe space to just yeah. wildly speculate. All right, Chris, let's talk about some spoilers. Okay. Well, do, I, do we just want to start with a bang? Or? I put this, I put the storm card first. Okay. The storm slash maybe good in almost everything card. Yeah. I'll, I have a lot to say about this card. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's read it out. It's wild. <laughs> Um, so this is Lurus of the Dream Den. It's one hybrid white-black, hybrid white-black. So three total, yeah. It's a legendary creature, Cat Nightmare. It's a 3-2. It's a companion. The requirement for the companion is each permanent card in your starting deck has converted mana cost two or less. Mm-hmm. As lifelink, and during each of your turns, you may cast one permanent spell with converted mana cost two or less from your graveyard. And in case you haven't been keeping up with spoilers, the way the companion works is it's kind of a commander. Like, yeah. you can have up to one companion that you flip at the start of the game and show your opponent. It mm-hmm. lives in your sideboard, takes up a sideboard slot. Yeah. As long as your starting 60 fits the rule that the companion card sets. So in this case, your permanence in your deck, nothing can be more than two mana. Yeah. Um, as long as the cards in your starting deck fit that rule, then once per game, you can just cast that from your sideboard. So you get you have an extra card in your hand the whole game. Yeah. So this effect is pretty strong uh, in combination with some, yeah. some decks and archetypes that we know about. No kidding. And the fact that it's just kind of free, free to include, you can just have one in your sideboard. Yeah. No big deal. Costing Exchanging one sideboard slot mm-hmm. for a card in your hand every game. Yeah. I'll take that deal every day. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and this it like you know some of the companions are like kind of expensive mm-hmm. or whatever, or their companion requirement makes your deck really bad. Right. So that's kind of like the ba- the balancing element of these companions. But this companion, you can just already put it into several modern decks mm-hmm. and many legacy decks. <laughs> so, well, yeah, let's talk about that a little. So. Okay. Yeah, let's talk about some of the major implications yeah. of this card. I mean, I think the clearest immediate one, mm-hmm. you know, Cyrus tweeted this out and was like, uh, I'm pretty sure this just goes into Ad Nauseam Tendrils yeah. with no changes to the deck. Right. So your uh, the main permanents that you can get back with it are Lion's Eye Diamond, mm-hmm. Lotus Petal, Petal, yep, you know, stuff like that. And, and there's like insanely good play patterns there. Mm-hmm. Even like this is a free card. So the bar for like a, a free card in your hand, the bar for it doing stuff is not that high to right. make it like worth it. It's one sideboard slot is what you have to dedicate to it. But this does really good stuff. Yeah. Any storm turn that includes you cracking a Lion's Eye Diamond, mm-hmm. this card represents just plus two storm to that turn. Because you just... Seems great. <laughs> on your first Lion's Eye Diamond crack, you add three black, cast this, get your Lion's Eye Diamond back, mm-hmm. crack your Lion's Eye Diamond again. You're you're exactly where you were before you cast this, except your plus two storm. And you have a three two lifelink in play with a relevant ability if for some reason the storm turn doesn't work out. Yeah. In like just a normal play pattern that you might do is like turn two, pedal, cast Luris put the pedal back from your graveyard into play like against a control deck mm-hmm. and like here's a threat that they have to deal with yeah that especially like post board when they don't want to have swords to plowshares or anything in their deck <laughs> right like just here's a threat or even just like here's a blocker yeah and and like imagine doing that against a delver deck right it's like okay they have their delver and sure it's gonna be able to hit you every time but you get to gain your three life back mm-hmm. on all of your turns right and that so just like having that element to it seems really strong right and meanwhile like it just represents free casts of lotus petal or mm-hmm. lion's eye diamond out of your graveyard yeah um leaving legacy 
<laughs> uh, in Pioneer, yeah. you don't have to change your Lotus Breach deck to put this in there. At all. Unless you yeah. had Tamiyo in your main deck. <laughs> you yeah. just get to put this in your board. Right. And that means that in these grindy games, when you run out of resources, but you have, you know, a, a stage and a Lotus Field in play, mm -hmm. you can just cast this to get your your breach out of your graveyard. Yeah, that's silly. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, sometimes you, you know, you have to, you've, like, milled over a couple of breaches or whatever, and you're looking to top deck one. Mm -hmm. you, yeah, you just have Alluris in your sideboard, yep. cast it, get your breach. Yep. You, you often have lots and lots of mana with that deck, so pretty crazy implications there. Right, and so this is just, like, both players have spent all their resources, but you have, a like, a breach, and or you have a field and two Thespian stages copying the field. Mm -hmm. This just is a win yeah. out of your sideboard. Right. It can't be thought seized. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, those are two. Like, another deck that I was thinking of was Burn. You just have one. Yeah. Like, turn four, cast this, cast a Goblin Guide. Right. I think that's fine. Might as well. Yeah. Honestly. It's, well, it's free. That's right. the issue. That, and that's the thing with this card is that it's just, there's no cost to it. You just have it in your sideboard. Right. And you'll never win a mirror if your opponent has Luris and you don't. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that so, sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it has lifelink. Yeah. <laughs> I've also thought about it in, like, Snapcaster decks mm -hmm. that are, like, mostly spells and they have Snapcaster mages. And then this just represents more value as the game goes on. Can yep. you cast a Snapcaster mage? Yep. It's particularly funny in Vintage mm -hmm. because, you know, we've been talking about it with LED, right? Yeah. And imagine it with a Black Lotus. Right. <laughs> it's just... Whoever drew their Black Lotus was a head in Vintage You get to anyways. go Black Lotus, cast this, cast your Black Lotus again. You're back where you started on your free Black Lotus, and then you have the Lotus in play, and it's just going to be a problem. And you can just use Lotus every turn after right. that. Yeah. <laughs> and then kind of a funny thing that I, I heard on Twitter is that if this card does end up, end up like breaking Vintage in some way... You can't ban it. There's no recourse. That's nuts. You, you can only restrict it, and... <laughs> you know it's fine you only had one and it was in your sideboard unreal so uh yeah definitely here to stay for vintage so i i don't want to be a like the sky is falling kind of person i'm okay. not i don't want to be chicken little here however i do think fundamentally the companion mechanic is a serious breach of like how i understand magic the gathering sure Certain decks now just get a starting ability, basically. Yeah. And and I think that Magic, because it's such a huge game and there's so many thousands of game pieces, and none of those game pieces were designed with this starting ability concept in mind. Yeah. And I think that's going to lend itself to really poor play patterns and game states and, and just kind of like broken incentives that that i i i'm really uncomfortable with the de design direction that companion represents yeah i mean i just i i definitely think it can you know it's continuing along with the trend of the cards that they're printing now mm -hmm. these days are going to have a major impact on magic the gathering yeah and the way that we understand it and i just think that that change is inevitable and they're just willing to like try stuff out mm -hmm. and allow it to have a major impact on the game yeah um and we're definitely a little averse to that as like old school players at this point but here it is here's Alurus. <laughs> yeah i don't know i like have you ever heard that thought exercise that's like 
I don't remember exactly what the text of the card is supposed to be, but but basically the joke is that like you get the text of a card and there's like stuff that that is like meant to be kind of a red herring, but the important thing is that the card starts on the bottom of your library and that's like the text of the card that really matters. And okay. so that it's like a thought exercise meant to like kind of trick you and then the person explaining it tell like explains the joke, which is like this card just makes your deck actually 56 cards. It would be completely busted. And, ah, you know, okay. our concept of Magic the Gathering is within such parameters that we're like, oh, yeah, of course a 56-card deck is busted. Like, that, that's not okay. Sure. This is an extra card in your hand. Yeah. You start with eight cards. <laughs> uh, yep. That's, you know, fundamentally, I think, even better than a 56-card deck. <laughs> I think so. So. I think it's a lot better. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on these companions and see which ones we can, you know, do a lot to. Yeah. This uh, one definitely seems like the most frightening. A lot yeah. of the other ones are like five mana ones or have restrictions that you really can't meet. But right. this one, uh, decks exist that both don't have to change to fit this into it. Mm -hmm. And it is and very good. In and benefit from it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that was a solid, like. 10 minutes on Luris of the Dream Death. <laughs> yeah, so that's Luris. Um, this guy isn't falling. It's fine. <laughs> next up. So next up, we've got a cutie. This yes. one is Sea Dasher Octopus. Aww. This is one and two blue for a 2-2 two -two flash. Whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card, and it has mutate for one and a blue. Mm -hmm. uh, and the way that mutate works is you can cast a mutate creature for its mutate cost and it kind of becomes an aura almost. Sure. Um, you put it on a creature, you choose which one of those creatures is on top, and then it gets that creature's power and toughness, mm -hmm. and then you has the text boxes of both of the creatures mashed yeah. together. Right. So it doesn't it doesn't it's not additive for power and toughness. Right. It's just the text box. Right. Yeah. But so, you know, we had a deck that was very good and standard at times. That was based entirely around the card Curious Obsession. Yes. Put that on a 1-1 flyer. It becomes a 2-2. You draw a card each turn. Mm -hmm. This kind of just is that on any 1-1 flyer. Yeah. It feels very similar to the Ninja. Nin is it Ninja of the... Ninja of the Deep Hours? Ninjas of the yeah, Ninja of the Deep Hours. Yeah. Where... Honestly, better though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You get to attack with the creature, and then, you know, if they don't block it or whatever, you can just, like, instant speed you know, mutate it with the octopus, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's going to, you know, immediately get you value, you mm -hmm. get to draw a card, and then that creature just becomes an extraordinary threat of, like, this card's going to, if it connects, draw a card every yeah. turn, and that can be a pretty big problem. Right, and if it is a flyer, it keeps flying. Yes. So, you yeah. know, this this works like a Curious Obsession mm -hmm. aura on there. If it was a 1-1 one, one flyer, then it becomes a 2-2 two, two flyer because you get to use the power <laughs> and toughness of the octopus. Cute. Very cute. Yeah. You get to, you know, play your 1-1 one, one flyer, and then on turn two, you get to pass the turn with your two-mana counterspell up. Mm -hmm. If they don't do this thing you were scared of, yeah. you get to end of turn this onto your guy, untap, and then you, you have your Ophidian. Yeah. Um, what I really like about this card is when you have traded off resources, and then you draw your Curious Obsession enchantment. You just cast it as a 2-2. Two -two. Yeah, you just... Pass the turn, see if they do anything you need to counter. If they don't, you just put your 2-2 draw card into play. Seems amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a great fail state. Um, I think this card's extremely good. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it is very, very strong. Yeah. All of the play patterns that I can picture with it are uh, pretty great, and I imagine that we're going to be seeing 
some decks built around it. Yeah, I think so. We have some pretty decent counter magic right now. Yeah. And I mean, Flash is already pretty much a deck. Yeah. Right now. So yeah. Imagine putting this on the 2-1, is it a Pirate Merfolk or something? Uh, which one? The Cutthroat. Oh, Brineborn Cutthroat. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it works really well with Brineborn Cutthroat. Yeah, and the, the plus one, plus one counters at, you know, Mutate doesn't it doesn't prevent plus that. one plus one counters yeah, yeah. that's true um, so there's yeah cutthroat they're gonna go with it and then obviously just like you can mutate it onto spectral um, sailor spectral sailor yeah and you can only mutate onto non-human yeah. creatures yeah, so that's that's key mm-hmm. um but yeah so that flash deck i mean i'm just picturing it now it seems great yeah uh i too bad i don't love playing against these decks or, <laughs> or with them that much but the octopus is like flexible and sweet enough that yeah. it may be a deck that i actually do enjoy playing uh, yeah they can be fun for yeah. sure uh next up we've got the ozolith <laughs> this yes. is a one mana legendary artifact so already kind of dangerous looking yeah um whenever a creature you control leaves the battlefield if it had counters on it put those counters on the ozolith at the beginning of combat on your turn if the ozolith has counters on it you may move all counters from the ozolith onto target creature so, definitely a weird one. Mm-hmm. We have, I haven't seen anything like this before. But no. essentially, it just acts as like a storage unit for counters of a creature that died. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in standard, I think it's going to have a lot more of a variety of implications where n- now in this new set, we have like keyword counters. Mm-hmm. So there's like trample counters and first strike. Like, you know, all of the keywords have counters now. So it's going to be able to store those and, and add those to your later creatures. So I do think that it is really powerful in any deck that has a density of those counters. Yeah. But then also, if we want to look at it in, like, pioneer scales, mm-hmm. if you you know if you can slot it into that deck, all of a sudden, whenever you lose one of your creatures and it had, like, a bunch of counters on it, you could just get to store those in your very efficient one-mana right. artifact. And the fact that you don't even need another creature in play at that time, mm-hmm. you know, this is, like, a way better than modular way to move counters from one thing to another. You get to hold on to it until you have something to put them onto. Yeah. Um, and you don't even have to use it right away. So there is, like, some, like, good benefits of, like, you know, storing it up and choosing your spot mm-hmm. for when to move the counters over. Yeah. So That's true. Yeah, you don't have to do it until... Right, you, you play a creature, mm-hmm. you go to combat, I'm not attacking with this creature this turn... I don't have a great reason to put the counters on it yet. Mm-hmm. Pass the turn, see if they play a sorcery speed removal spell or something, untap, right. then put the counters on. That's Yeah, I think the play patterns with this are great. And then if we go beyond Pioneer and we go to Modern, like this may be a thing that can help bring hardened scales back into Modern. Yeah, that's fair. Um, it works very well with Arcbound Ravager mm-hmm. because I believe uh, my reading of how Modular works, and it's a little confusing because different points in the comp rules say different things okay and it's not 100 percent clear to me whether modular moves the counters or puts that number of counters onto a creature and if modular moved the counters then you would only be able to move the counters either onto the target or onto the ozolith oh but i'm pretty sure in the actual comprehensive rules definition of modular okay it does say that you put that many plus one plus one counters onto the target so the counters for modular leave when the modular creature dies and then are created again on a new creature yeah it's not moving them it's just putting counters onto that creature so does that mean if you sacrifice a modular creature 
then you get to put those counters that were on the modular creature onto the Ozolith. Yep. And then a new set of like three counters are created on the other creature. That's what it seems to be. I don't think we've gotten an official statement from like a representative of Wizards on this yet. Okay. But that seems to be the judge's consensus for how it works. It, Wild. It's funny though, because the reminder text on modular says move those counters onto a creature. Oh. And there is a reference in the comp rules that talks about modular and says move those counters onto the creature. Okay, so maybe the, this just wasn't a gray area that existed before this card. Right. Okay. So, you know, we'll, we'll need a, a clarification. Mm-hmm. It, but if it does work like that, if it does work so you double up with modular, that that's pretty powerful. Getting extra like twice as many ravager counters mm-hmm. and you know that's gonna make an Inkmoth nexus kill twice as fast that's which yeah. is pretty huge i mean if you have a hardened scales and this in play mm-hmm. like sacrifice some zero mana artifact to ravager ravager becomes a three three sacrifice the ravager put you know four counters on your Inkmoth nexus four three counters well three counters onto the ozolith because hardened scales only uh does it for creatures oh okay Got so it. you know but you put three counters onto the ozolith and then four more counters onto the the Ink Moth Nexus. Like, that's a very quick Ink Moth Nexus attacking for nine poison. Yeah, and if you got in one hit earlier, right. that's it. Right. <laughs> got him. So, um, this also works super well with Hangerback Walker, mm-hmm. because Hangerback Walker provides the creatures to put the counters onto with the Ozolith, even if you get Wrath or something. Pretty nice. So, you know, I, I think this card's great. Yeah, uh, I can definitely see a lot of uh, places that you'd want to play it. Yep. For sure. And in... Uh, a Ravager Scales deck, you know, you draw your second copy of the Ozolith, and at least it, you know, gives you a, a counter. Yeah, so you can sack it and then cast your other one. Right. Mm-hmm. The artifact type line, not quite, like, still valuable because of Ravager, a but little no, less valuable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we used to look at one mana artifacts and go, oh, no. Right. But now yeah. that Mox Opal's gone, you know, it's kind of fine. Yeah. Uh, we <laughs> we even need that, like, one mana slot to be filled now without Mox Opal. I used to be, like, some of these old you just skip decks yeah. were just, like, All zeros, zeros and twos. And twos. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Just mull to Mox Opal or Springleaf Drum. Yeah, and... that's fine. Yeah. No worries. Um, yeah. Next up, another cute one. Yeah, so this is a Sprite Dragon. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's red-blue for a Fairy Dragon 1-1 creature with Flying in Haste. Mm -hmm. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on Sprite Dragon. So uh, pretty good in these like kind of tempo-y it style decks where, you know, you have this cheap creature that you can play out on turn two. It has haste. It's going to hit him right away. And then it's just going to hit him more and more as you mm-hmm. cast your cantrips or whatever. This, to me, feels more like a standard card than two, anything else. But two mana for a threat, mm-hmm. like in these types of decks, often is like a clunky amount yeah. of mana. It's Yeah, two's a lot. So, um, But in like a standard, like, blue-red spells matters deck, I could... Definitely the, see this being a star. I mean, is it crazy to... Like, I know that mana is at a at, like at a premium in Legacy more than in any other format sure. in Magic. But you also have more free spells in Legacy. Like, casting this, dazing, and then starting to cantrip and stuff is like... This thing gets really big really fast, potentially. Yeah, I mean, you cast a lot of spells in Legacy. Yeah. Uh, I could... I could... I, I would at least try it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't dismiss it initially. It feels like, you know, two mana you're competing with a lot, mm-hmm. but if this 
scales as quickly as I think it might, then sure. Right. Maybe. Well, and also, like, what about the idea that this is kind of a Tarmogoyf for more mid-rangey blue-red decks? Mm. So, you know, look at, like, Pioneer. If we decide, like, okay, Arclight Phoenix isn't working in these blue-red decks, but I still want a bunch of these spells, like, uh, like we get to a point where the red removal spells line up nicely and treasure cruise is good and you don't mind casting some ops and stuff. Mm -hmm. And rather than trying to just like crush them with the sprite dragon, you're just, you cast some spells and then you find a point where you can go like sprite dragon removal spell treasure cruise. And then this thing is just like a five, five the next turn or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty big. Um, it, you know, the Tarmogoyf comparison is, a little risky because the main benefit of Tarmogoyf is that it doesn't die to bolt as soon as it comes down. But um, and you can also top deck Tarmogoyf with nothing, and it's yeah, just six, and seven. it's just huge. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, I could I could see this being being a player in some mm -hmm. capacity for sure. Yeah, I mean, certainly with any amount of like graveyard, you know, in a lava dart deck, this could be great. Oh yeah. I do love uh, Steamkin, so this this definitely has a little bit of Steamkin vibes. But... Uh, yeah, uh, maybe a little more Kiln Fiend vibes. Mm, a uh, bit. Yeah, sad. But yeah, no cap to the number of counters on this thing, so... Yeah, but it's yeah. also not making any mana. It's not so... making any mana. <laughs> but definitely potential. Sure. Just don't know if that pays off. Also, the haste feels like... I mean, there may be just decks that are just like, Strike Dragon, Spell, 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 Attack. Mm -hmm. Like, if you do that, yeah, then you're do doing that. it. Mm-hmm. Um, another card that just makes you like, thank God that Gitaxian Probe isn't legal in any format anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Next up, we've got so there's a cycle of these Mythos cards. Okay, they've all got art by Seb, so they're all pretty cool looking, and they all have this very like kind of weird wording, but then you kind of get it. Like it, it makes yeah. a lot of sense once you understand what it's doing. It's just the, the text to make it happen is a little complicated. Sure. But this is two and a black for an instant. Destroy target non-land permanent if it's a creature or if green-white was spent to cast this spell. So essentially, it reads two and a black, destroy a creature, mm -hmm. or Abzan mana, mm -hmm. so green, white, black, destroy any permanent. Yeah. It's Maybe basically a split permanent. card. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Abzan decks are going to be able to use this as a... What's the what's the best comparison to this? It's, it's, a not, it's not a Vindicate. It's like a Maelstrom Pulse. Sure. But can't hit... You know, it doesn't get the tokens or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a catch-all in the Abzan decks. You can hit anything. Mm -hmm. Or if you're playing it just in, you know, a black deck and i would only imagine that you would play this in a black deck in like something like a standard deck that really needed this or limited yeah it, it feels like mostly a limited mechanic to me because any constructed deck i would imagine is only reaching for a card like this if you can use its full potential right but it provides like a level of smoothness and consistency where like your mana is not always online on turn oh, three. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so, and the thing you're most likely going to need to kill on turn three is a creature. Mm -hmm. So if you're a, you know, a heavier black deck that also has green and white mana, you know, this is a really nice yeah. solution to the problem of like, I really need to like kill. <laughs> I mean, it kills a lot of stuff. Yeah. This kills Karns and Wilderness Reclamations and uh, oh, yeah. Fires of Inventions and whatever like the range of stuff that this kills is enormous mm -hmm. and you don't have to stretch your deck to have abzan mana on turn three to kill annex or something like sure. that yeah no that makes sense 
Um, I, I'm mostly viewing that as like a minor upside in constructed. Sure, yeah, of course. Um, you, you definitely want to be able to cast mm -hmm. it for Abzan. But cool design, yeah. and I, I do kind of like how, uh, I, I think it is a limited concession to like the way that this templating is, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I think it's a cool design. Yeah, definitely. Uh, next one has gotten quite a bit of buzz. <laughs> I, this design is also very cool. Yes. Uh, so this is Yadaro, Wandering Monster. It's seven red red for an 8-8 eight, eight Trample Haste, mm -hmm. uh, legendary creature dinosaur turtle. So already we're running into some uh, interesting yeah, this, things. This is a turtle with haste. It's, it's a turtle with haste. You love to see it. <laughs> Do you? Speedy turtle. <laughs> Do you? So it's got cycling for one and a red. And when you cycle Yadaro, uh, shuffle it into your library from your graveyard. If you've cycled a card named Yadaro four or more times this game, put it onto the battlefield from your graveyard instead. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you cycle it. It shuffles into your deck. The fourth time you cycle it, it just goes on the battlefield for one in a red. Yep. So, I, you know, I kind of get the turtle element of it in yeah. the sense that it's been around it's for slow. a while. And, you know, it's like on the fourth time, like, okay, now we're in play. Yeah. But it does kind of feel weird that they slap taste on it. <laughs> it does. But it certainly makes it... If it didn't have haste, I really wouldn't be super interested in the card. The haste makes it closer. Mm -hmm. I do think people are really underestimating the awkwardness of cycling a card for two mana over and over. Oh, for it, over. that's going to take many, many turns. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's definitely like a really late game thing. I don't really imagine that this makes its way into any constructed decks. I don't think so. But, you know, maybe there's some dirtily, like, controly deck that is played in standard mm -hmm. that is like this is it this is the turtle deck i want a two mana cycle card yeah the the cycle <laughs> just does nothing though it doesn't uh -huh. even like put a card in your graveyard for no. you, it just it you're just it makes it less your... likely that you're finding your other outs even so. yeah I, I would hate to cycle this card when I'm like really looking for lands, you know, it's right? Like, okay, I need to hit my third land drop. Cycle this, hit another. We'll copy it, it back into my deck. <laughs> Don't hit a land. And you have copy. to be yeah. playing like a lot of copies of this. Oh yeah, yeah. Because you want to keep drawing it. Mm -hmm. um, like the thing I do like about it is that the fourth cycle is is great. Obviously, yeah. you get an eight eight trample haste for two mana draw card. Oh, well, you could spend more mana right. over the course of the game, mm -hmm. but then they deal with that. And then you draw the second one, and then there's another eight-eight trample haste for two mana. It's draw coming. <laughs> so yeah. like that's that's the compelling part of it to me is like right. over a long game, it represents huge amounts of value, and mm -hmm. and and like once you hit the second one, like your mana has really paid off. Yeah. But I think that just the the fact that every game your deck is set up so that you have to cycle something for two mana mm -hmm. multiple times. Also, I feel like you're gonna cycle it once, you're gonna find time to cycle it again. And then you're going to draw the third one, and you're going to be at six mana. And you're going to be like, wait, am I just supposed to hold on and cast this for seven? Uh, yeah, that's definitely an interesting tension. I didn't think about that. So I'd, I'd probably just cycle it. Maybe yeah. draw another one. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> sure. But like, if the, if the like, okay, well, now it's late in the game, and a huge guy is actually probably going to be good enough. No, for sure. Yeah, then, it's, it's a tension. Absolutely. Then what did, we, what did we spend all of our time cycling the early ones for? Right.
I'd probably cycle it because then the next time you draw one, it's bonkers. It, it's yeah. just bonkers. So yeah, set yourself up. And to have because if you just like play that one and then you draw another one mm-hmm. and then you cycle it's it, terrible. it feels bad. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It, it's a cute thing to have available, but you've got to be a pretty. You got to be playing really long games to the, work this. Honestly, the main reason that we're talking about this card is because it's a neat design mm-hmm. and not because it's powerful in any context. Right. I, but I mean, I've definitely seen discussion of people like who want to. Oh play yeah, this I card. mean, whenever there's any design, yeah, true. there's that desire to be like, this is it, we're gonna do it. But I, I'm just, I sure, I just don't think I like it. I think later on we're gonna be like, hey, I remember that turtle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think so. And and the answer to that may just be like, no, no? what what turtle? We talked yeah. about that in spoiler season and never thought about it again. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, this one is. Kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay. From that, it is not a particularly neat design, but is doing a thing that we know has the potential to be powerful. Yeah. This is Weaponize the Monsters, red for an enchantment. It has two, sacrifice a creature, Weaponize the Monsters deals two damage to any target. Mm-hmm. Um, so the initial upfront investment is... Very cheap. Very cheap. Yeah. Um, the two mana activation, though, is definitely, you know, sitting there saying, like, you know, you're going to have to work... To yeah. make this a broken card. Right. In some ways, this feels like the... Uh, what was the single red enchantment where you could discard a land and pay a red mana? Oh, yeah. To uh, shock something? Right. It's like the, the seismic assault that works better. Yeah. Than, yeah. Um, um, like cheaper on the front end, but also more expensive on mm-hmm. the back end. Uh, it feels kind of like that, where it's like, okay, yeah, you... Um, you know, instead of discarding a land, a land, now we have to, like, sacrifice a creature. Um, and in some decks, that can be less of a cost, mm-hmm. because some decks just, like, make a bunch of creatures that are disposable. You know, I, I think that it is, like, going to be... Like, that card ended up being pretty slow and, like, pretty fair. Yeah. And I think that this will be similar right. to that. Yeah, and that card was certainly only used in like very specific like mm-hmm. life from the loam yeah and eternal it, format it decks. certainly did make its way into like legacy lands for mm-hmm. a while um like i do remember that time period uh and maybe maybe this will make its way into some other strategy like that yeah i um, mean in older formats i think goblin bombardment is mm-hmm. like if you want this Effect, like the free yeah. activation on that is probably right. better yeah I, and I like almost certainly better because you're probably doing something comboy with it, and then that's what you're gonna want, right? So I, you know, it's just like, do you do, does a deck that wants to sacrifice creatures in standard exist that wants this effect? And a lot of those decks tend to just not have, you know, black red sacrifice is tight on mana on a lot True. of its turns. Oh yeah, all the cards in that deck activate for free, and there's mm-hmm. a reason for that. So. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting. It's it certainly has potential to carry yeah. its weight but we'll see i i'm not quite seeing it mm-hmm. like i'm not slotting it into stuff in my head that that makes immediate sense to me but sure sacrificing creatures multiple times a turn like certainly can be a thing but yeah that mana restriction is definitely yeah. very real all right next up we have luca copper coat outcast mm-hmm. so this is three red red for a legendary planeswalker uh, starts at five loyalty plus one Exile the top three cards of your library. Creature cards exiled this way gain. You may cast this card from exile as long as you control a Luka Planeswalker. Minus two. Exile target creature you control. Then reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card with higher converted mana cost. Put that card onto the battlefield and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So 
to summarize and put it in magic terms a little bit, minus two polymorph, but you can only hit creatures with higher CMC. Which is really cool, because polymorph yeah. in the past has really required a warping of your deck mm-hmm. that really made it impossible to build a serious constructed polymorph deck. Right. Um, and then it has the ultimate of minus seven. Each creature you control deals damage equal to its power to each opponent. Almost flavor text, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that this card is, like, the reason it is cool is because that minus two, I believe, doesn't require a ton of deck building effort to make very threatening. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, polymorph effects traditionally are only played in decks where that effect is broken. <laughs> so... The upside of Luca is that, you know, you even your deck building restriction is less because you don't have to bend over backwards to like only have one creature in your deck. And I wonder, like one of the cool things that this set implies might be the case is that there could be some pretty large creatures with cycling. Like maybe the way that you make Yadara Wandering Monster work is he's just your big guy in your Luka deck. Oh, okay. And then at, once you get Luka out, like any four mana creature can only minus two into an 8-8 haste trample. I like that. That's pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I could see something like that happening. And and you're like fine drawing the Yadaro because... Yeah, you cycle it. You, you, I'm ticking him up. I'm getting closer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I know. I could totally see that. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, this... The downside of polymorph beforehand was that you, like, really couldn't ever polymorph in just, like, for value. Yeah. It was just, like, a, you know, coin toss, like, maybe your creature's better, maybe it's worse if you have a variety, if you have a range. But this one is just only getting better. So I could see this Planeswalker just being played in any old deck that just, like, doesn't even consider it that much. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe they do have the top end of the turtle, or whatever, but you can just, yeah, you can just be like, all right, you know, time to upgrade this creature. Sure. And, you know, this, like, Luca, you play it, upgrade one, and then you have three loyalty still, so you can upgrade again the next turn, and yeah. then you've, um, you know, you've, you've definitely added to your board state at that point. For sure. Yeah, the fact that he can minus two twice, mm-hmm. you know, if you can build your deck such that that is good right. and very threatening, like, that's probably the goal here. And then the plus one is just, like, they still need to attack this once they've dealt with the the monsters that you've made, yeah. or else he is going to draw you into more monsters. And, you know, when you're playing the Cycle Turtle, yeah. you've always got four of those in your deck, right? <laughs> so guess. you're always likely to hit one. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay, right. synergy. Great. <laughs> we found it. And he costs five, so you're only two mana away from casting yeah, ex- a turtle. Exactly. See? Yeah. I mean, the bar is relatively high for five mana Planeswalkers. Yeah. Uh, but he's not quite performing a Planeswalker role. He's more performing like a very specific deck function role yeah. that is creating potentially immense board presence. So. Yeah. I mean, the main, the main problem with this Planeswalker is that it can't protect itself mm-hmm. really at all. It's plus for value, which is great, and then minus for like extra board state presence. But mm-hmm. I really don't think that it's like adding to the board in in a way that is going to protect itself right unless you have very specific monsters like if any four mana creature minus twos into something that comes and puts multiple tokens into play or something like that i I don't know i have no idea how this ends up getting built but there's probably ways to do that but probably the best way to keep him from getting attacked down is to make his minus two like threaten their life total in a very immediate way yeah definitely 
the best defense is a good offense. Right. It's so. hard to deal with the planeswalker while you're just trying <laughs> not to die. Yeah, exactly. All right. Next, we have Heartless Act. Just a nice, efficient spell. One yep. in a black, instant. Choose one, destroy target creature with no counters on it, or remove up to three counters from target creature. Yep. So, Doomblade effect, essentially, mm-hmm. but the requirement is that uh, the creature can't have any counters on it. Yep. But then if it does, and it's a problem, then you can take some of those counters off of it. The main place where this is going to be bad is if there are playable creatures that get, like, death touch counters or something like that. Sure. Because removing those counters isn't really doing that much. Right. You know, it's certainly fine against plus one, plus one counter creatures. It's just a minus three, minus three enchantment. And another thing to note about Heartless Act is that this card, in my mind, immediately becomes the best Doomblade effect in Eternal formats. Mm. Creatures just don't have counters on them in in other formats. Not really. Like, I mean, sure, there's scales, but like, just think about all the other creatures that you've ever wanted to Doomblade. And this is way better at killing Arcbound Ravager than Doomblade is. Oh, true. Yeah. So... (laughs) You just take three counters off of it. Right. How many artifacts do you want to sacrifice to save your Arcbound Ravager from right. this? And then it still shrinks. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So, yeah, I think that this card is really, really powerful and is definitely going to... Repl- like, if you're if you're running any other kind of Doomblade effect before, this is probably what you want to change those into in whatever your constructed deck is. Yeah. I guess it's, like, kind of the same as Doomblade against Arcbound Ravager, because you can just respond to it by putting counters on it and then sacrificing the Ravager, so... Against Ravager specifically. Yeah, yeah. but against, like, that, you know, against walk uh, Hangerback Walker specifically or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, sure. There are scenarios where it's better. Yeah, certainly. Another one, another kind of basic effect here with some spice, we have Neutralize... One blue blue for an instant counter target spell, cycling two. Yeah, they put cycling two on a cancel. Interesting. That's pretty good, honestly. Yeah. I, I've noticed that they've slapped some just cycling two on some other just like staple cards. Yeah, we got naturalized just with cycling two on it. Yep, That's... naturalized with cycling two. And there's a, um, what's the four mana get two lands into play? Oh, yeah, there's a... Uh, an explosive vegetation with cycling, with cycling too. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean they're just they're just pushing pushing the edge of these cards. Yeah, I think all of these are playable. The naturalize I I think is probably main deckable. Like being being able to just put a card in your deck that answers fires of invention, wilderness reclamation, annex, amber cleave. Mm-hmm. Like that's a good suite of permanents to answer, and then also just have cycling yeah. when it doesn't do anything. Yeah. Um, the ramp decks are the main place where it kind of doesn't do anything, and that may be a problem, and, you know, you just pay attention to the metagame, but I think it's, like, pretty mid-deckable. Cancel with cycling, I think, is good. I think that the cycling is a little bit deceptive, because in a lot of spots where you would cycle other cards, you're not going to cycle a cancel, because when you're both sitting there doing nothing, having a cancel in your hand is better than most cards on average. But it is very nice that it can help you hit your land drops or, you know, or if your hand is a little clogged up with counter spells, you can get rid of one of them and I think probably just smooths out draws a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, cycling's great. I'm mm-hmm. a huge fan. You know, I always love variance reduction in Magic. Yeah. And this is certainly an example of that. Definitely. So. Yeah. The decision to cycle away your cancel anytime other than like, oh, I need my third land drop, mm-hmm. like, is a complicated decision for sure yeah um but you know i think that the fact that sometimes you're going to need to try to find your land drop Mm -hmm. is huge yeah so 
Um, just a few more. I mean, like, there's a lot of really cool cards here. So I figure we take just a minute and talk about... Maybe this is the last one. Okay. But, but I, I do think this is really neat once you think about the play patterns you can do with it. Okay. This is Parcel Beast. Two green-blue for a 2-4 with Mutate for just green-blue. Yeah. And has one tap. Look at the top card of your library. If it's a land card, you may put it onto the battlefield. If you don't put that card onto the battlefield, put it into your hand. So Coiling Oracle. Yes. But as an activated ability. As an ability. activated ability. I mean, Coiling Oracle is better than draw a card. Mm -hmm. So this card, able to, for just green-blue, give one of your creatures, you know, one tap better than draw a card. Mm -hmm is pretty strong and i think in particular the play pattern with this that makes me like oh okay this card is good mm -hmm. is that you can go turn one arboreal grazer and okay. then turn two you can mutate onto arboreal grazer and activate this interesting wait arboreal oh okay oh yeah because the grazer ramps you and yep. then you have three mana next turn and then your grazer is a real threat yeah okay i like it yeah I don't know how it works with beating summoning sickness. Like, do you have to make it an O3 in order to not have summoning? I don't actually just know how mutate works with that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Do you just, does it just get to be a 2-4 that can then activate immediately? I think, I think you do. I think it does get to be the 2-4 because they, they mutate into the creature on top plus all abilities from under it. I don't think that means... I think the creature has still been in play since the beginning of your turn. It's just a mutated version of that creature. I don't think the power and toughness is key, but this card is certainly significantly better mm -hmm. if it can be a 2-4 when you do that than yeah. if it has to be the And also, Arboreal Grazer just got a lot better. It got a lot better. Just think about all of the cheap mutate cards. The the one that... Um, uh, the Magpie? Yeah. Uh, just, like, turn Grazer, two. ramp yeah. you, attack it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, now it's a 2-2 two, two draw card. Yeah, that seems pretty phenomenal. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how many Grazer decks are also set up to, like, use a curiosity like that, but it could definitely work. Um, yeah, well, I just think that a Grazer is now, like, a potential addition to a lot of these mutate. Right, just because you don't uh, wait. Like, the, that O3 body mm -hmm. is a full card. Right. That is really valuable to have access to, yeah. Yeah, so, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the little, there. the little sloth that we <laughs> underrated at first and continues to get better. Yeah, it's just in so many decks. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, another creature that is really cool for Mutate is Stonecoil Serpent. Okay. Because you overwrite the 0-0 zero, zero power toughness, oh. keep the counters, oh. and you get Trample, Reach, Protection from Multicolored okay. onto whatever other abilities you're getting. I like it. So, and, yeah. and, you know, you can play the Oracle for one mana and then Mutate onto it. So. Yeah. Sick. Or the, the serpent, not the oracle. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of cool stuff here. Yeah, definitely. A lot of stuff that I... Companion in particular, I do find questionable and am a little bit worried about the implications of that. Sure. Yeah. But, you know, mutate is like something that could be like really, really strong, but in like what seems like a reasonable way. Yeah. I think putting a lot of the like cleverness and potential power level of the set into what are effectively auras... Mm -hmm is you know centers the game around creatures yeah. around like prioritizing interaction with the board right and, and i think that's a healthy way to to put neat stuff into standard mm -hmm. 
right, chat, thank you so much for hanging out. Indeed. Um, everybody at home listening to the podcast, really, really appreciate it. Um, even if you are, you know, your schedule, I get it, your schedule is weird. You're not getting in your car and driving to work and turning on the MTG Grindcast. Yeah, totally fine. If you want to, you know, think about other ways to fit podcasting in. I, I downloaded the Pioneer podcast onto my GPS watch and listened to it as I went for a run today. Ooh, so, okay, you know, solid. we have fancy technical solutions to <laughs> the problems of, you know, not having yeah. a commute to listen to podcasts on. Right. So. I mean, I've certainly noticed that I have not been listening to music mm-hmm. at all recently. Yeah. Because, like, car time is my music time. So. And that's bad. you got to listen to music. I know. Like, I know. Like, for your heart <laughs> for your yeah for, for your, your soul, soul. <laughs> yeah it, i think True. i honestly think it's very important yeah. for mental health if music is something that you do mm-hmm. listen to regularly to not stop doing that so no for sure um i feel that i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely need to look into ways of reintroducing that yeah um break out the shower speaker again that'll be good that's that's true <laughs> that's that's a good solution um and you know yeah. also very important to your mental health to listen to the podcasts that you oh enjoy. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Certainly. But, you know, thank you for listening, you know, through all this. I know that Magic the Gathering and podcast listening probably takes a backseat to a lot of the stuff people have going on, but we are happy to be an entertaining distraction if that's what you need. And uh, so really, really appreciate everybody listening. Really appreciate everybody's support on Patreon. If you want to give us some support, you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or mtggrindcast.com where we've got links to the Patreon and links to all of our episodes and things like that. Yep. We will have some announcements forthcoming on the tournament series, the Lotus Box League. We're going to, you know, you stuck it out this far. Here we've got a little bit of details. Stay tuned. Announcement coming out on Friday. Yep. But, you know, it's going to be a season. There's going to be a leaderboard. There's going to be a tournament to qualify for at the end of the season. Yep. And um, even if you can't play in these tournaments, if you want to tune into our coverage, we will be taking Easter weekend off. But then after that, we will be getting back into it. And so come check us out on twitch.tv slash Team Lotus Box. Also streaming the podcast recording live every Tuesday evening on that channel at 730. So thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. The podcast is at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter at Collins Mullen. Um, thanks again and have a great week. Peace.